thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslander. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on June 5th, 2022. Today we're in Luke chapter 8 and we're going to see why Jesus was such a, an amazing preacher. We've got a great example today of why I believe he was the world's greatest teacher. He had this amazing ability to take an everyday situation and turn it into a profound statement of truth. We often call these parables, some like the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, were simple stories that we can all identify with. Sometimes he used just very brief word pictures like salt or light to make a profound truth. And sometimes, like the parable we're going to look at today, he used just kind of an everyday, ordinary situation of a farmer distributing seed. It was something that everybody in that culture, and even today, were familiar with, but it taught something very important, some things we need to know. Now, preaching styles have changed over the years. Today, more preachers like the highly dramatic, emotional stories that bring tears, Funny stories that bring laughter, complicated stories that take you on emotional roller coasters of up and down. And there's nothing wrong with these, but Jesus did more than just move the emotions. He, he talked very simply, very directly, and taught profound truth in such a way that when you heard it, it would stick with you for the rest of your life. And the parable of the sower that we're going to look at today is like that. A farmer distributes seed, which falls on everything from hard ground to good soil and everything in between. You don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to even be a gardener in order to understand the truth. Because Jesus is describing four different responses to biblical truth. Four different responses to the gospel of Jesus. Four different responses to what Jesus had to say. And it's so real that 2,000 years later, every single preacher I know, almost every single week, sees these same four responses. Jesus knew what he was talking about. So we're going to read the statement. It's in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. It begins with kind of a simple statement of a general statement about Jesus' ministry. And then he tells the parable that probably most of you are familiar with. But I want you to think about it today. Let's stand together. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And here's how it reads. After this... Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. You may be seated, and I really want you to understand this. It is a very simple story, profound. I hope it's thought-provoking. That's how Jesus taught. Took very simple, everyday situations, and he made them real. So let's work through this to make sure that we understand it. And I won't spend a whole lot on the first two points, but we will begin with the setting. Notice that Luke said that Jesus had this growing fame with women and men. The disciples were with him. Many women also were beginning to become followers of Jesus, and some of them traveled with him and even provided the necessary funds for the disciples and Jesus to travel. And many were coming from miles around just to hear him preach. At this point in his ministry, he was probably the best known person in Galilee. Everybody had heard of Jesus and everybody wanted to hear him speak. And then he went on to say in this passage a word about the purpose of parables. And I want to use another phrase to help you understand why Jesus spoke in parables. And that phrase that I'm using is something he said in other places, seek and you will find. Whoever has ears to hear, Jesus said, let him hear. And then he went on to say, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, to his disciples. But to others I speak in parables, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. So I want you to understand what Jesus was saying here. Listen, if you want truth, if you're paying attention, if you're listening, if you're thinking, and if you have ears, listen to me, then you will understand what I'm saying. But if you don't want truth, if you're not interested in truth, this is just merely words. And it'll go over your head and you'll say, I don't get that. I don't understand that. There's a biblical truth there that I hope all of you know and all of you live by. If you really want to know truth, you've got to seek it. You've got to look for it. And then as you do, when you read the New Testament especially, it just comes alive before you as you understand who Jesus is and what he wants and how he wants you to live. And so he was teaching his disciples, seek. If you want truth, seek it. You want to know what's real? Seek it. You want to know about God? Seek him. You want to know the truth? Seek him. 
And then these parables will come alive. Now, the heart of the parable gives the four responses to biblical truth. The farmer distributes seed, which Jesus said is the word of God or truth or the Bible or the gospel of Jesus Christ or the revelation of God to man. That's what the seed in this parable represents. And Jesus shows us four very typical responses. And I'm going to ask you today, which response defines you? These four responses have always been there. There were these responses in Noah's day. There were four responses in Isaiah's day. There were four responses when John the Baptist preached. There were four responses when Jesus preached. There are four responses when any preacher distributes the word of God today. And I want you to know these responses, but not just in an intellectual way. I want you to be able to say, that's me. And I hope and pray that it'll be the fourth one, because that's what Jesus wants us all to be. But first, you need to diagnose, this is where I am. When I hear the word of God, when I hear biblical truth, when I hear the gospel, this is how I respond. And so we're going to look at the four different responses. And the first one Jesus mentioned is none. No response. Nada. Zilch. Zero. The words are heard, but the hard head and the hard head hard heart, don't allow penetration. Jesus said those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so the gospel on these people makes absolutely no penetration into their life. It just sits there and becomes nothing more than bird food. There's no soft soil for it to penetrate into. There's nothing to protect it from the heat of the sun. And as soon as the farmer leaves, the birds find it and it's gone. We keep a, keep a container of bird seed in our backyard and uh, got some bird feeders. And so keep it in the backyard. And um, usually once a day, either Don or I will go out and put a little bit of seed in the bird feeders. And a couple of months ago, I accidentally just kicked over this container of, of bird seed. I scooped it up as much as I could, but it's on the, the hard patio there. And I thought, and I'm not always a procrastinator, but I was that day, I thought, I'll sweep up the rest of it later. I didn't have to sweep it up. Within a matter of hours, every seed, every kernel was gone because it couldn't penetrate into the paving stones. It just sat there, made no impact, and the birds came and got it, and nothing, absolutely nothing changed. You couldn't tell that there had been seed there. That's the description here that Jesus is making, and unfortunately, that's where much of America is right now. We don't want anyone, even God, telling us how to live, how to think, how to do. And so our, our heads are hard. We like living without restraints and enjoying all kinds of harmful and sinful things. And so our hearts are hard. And so gospel response is limited. And that's, that's the first response to the gospel that that. Jesus mentioned. And unfortunately, we see it a lot. 
You share the gospel, people hear the gospel, nothing. It's just gone. At least outwardly, visibly, you see no results whatsoever. And so Jesus said that that is one response to the gospel. I hope it's not yours. But Jesus described one of those responses. And the second one, he said, is, excuse me, the temporary response. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So the seed germinates. It puts out roots and in some initial leaves, but the taproot can't get past the rocky soil to get nutrients and water. And so then when the sun comes out, it shrivels and dies. Here in the desert, and maybe if, you, if you've done any gardening or farming or planting, you, you know, we have this thing called caliche. That can be a few inches or a foot or more underneath the soil. It's a tough layer of minerals that have leached through. And so that layer becomes hard, almost like concrete. Plant over it without breaking it up. And your plants will do well for a time and then die. Because the roots can't get down where they need to get down. You've met people like that in church. Kind of the six-month wonder. They hear the gospel. They make a deeply emotional response to it at a tough time in their lives. They start to follow Jesus. They're baptized. They come to church. They, they do everything that a believer is supposed to do, often kind of challenging the more mature believers to, to keep up with them. But when the emotion wears off, it's obvious that it didn't penetrate very far and that their faith isn't tough enough to deal with the tough times of testing that will come to every believer. And they fall away. They either disappear from church altogether or they kind of hang out on the fringes of the church blaming everyone and everything for their own lack of growth. And that's what Jesus said is the temporary response to the gospel. And I hope none of you are there. It takes a while to know that you move past that. Because in the initial stages of coming to faith in Jesus, it is natural, normal, healthy to be excited. But you want to put down a root. You want to grow. So that it's not just temporary. The third response that Jesus described is the immature the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, in this case, Jesus said the plant lives barely, but there are no flowers, there is no fruit, there is no seed, there is no reproduction. It's like a lemon tree that produces no lemons, a cotton crop that produces no cotton, a tomato plant that produces no tomatoes, and pretty soon you're going to ask, what's the point? Why have a tomato plant if I don't get any tomatoes out of it? 
Why plant a lemon tree that I never get anything from it? Why would a farmer spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to plant acres and acres of cotton and, and, and not get anything from it? And that's the immature response to the gospel. Now, now pay attention because Jesus pointed out what keeps a believer's immature. Jesus said it's worries, riches, and pleasures. So don't answer it out loud, but, but answer this in your own heart. What do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? What gives you that vague sense of uncomfortableness that all is not well with me and mine? Is it health? Money or the lack thereof? Success or the lack thereof? Children, war, the price of gas, inflation, a life full of worry indicates a life with very little trust, and it indicates a person that has not really learned to pray and turn it over to God. And what Jesus said is that will keep you in the immature stage of Christianity. You have faith, but there's very little growth, very little fruit, very little progress. And he said, one of the reasons that people stay in that immature stage is the worries of life. Their faith in God is real, but it's not deep enough to turn things over to God. Their prayer life is real, but it's not enough to really make a difference. And so they worry, and they worry, and they worry. And the next thing Jesus said that will keep you in the immature stage is riches. We complain a lot in America, but we are much better off financially than most countries. Would you rather live in Haiti, the Sudan, Ukraine, Pakistan? We have lots of money in this country. But our wealth often works against our faith. Because wealth leads to self-reliance rather than God-reliance. Wealth leads in a strange way, but it does. Wealth leads to selfishness, not generosity. The truth in America, and it's been this way for years is that poor people give away more money to charity and churches per capita than do rich people. Because riches don't lead always to the kind of life we think that it will. Wealth leads to covetousness, not contentment. Because the more you have, the more you want. We want more, we want bigger, we want faster, we want newer. And so riches aren't always what we hoped they would be. They often become a tool of Satan to keep us from growing in the faith. Wealth often separates us from the hurting, the homeless, the violent, the hungry, and those who need us and our message the most. Riches often separates us in our nice suburban communities behind our garages and our fences and our doors. 
Riches often separate us from the very commission that Jesus gave us to go into the world and make disciples. And so be wary of riches. And understand that it can easily be a tool that keeps you from growing in the faith. And not just a blessing of God. Riches often lead us to be immature in the faith. And Jesus also said that it's pleasure that keeps us immature. Now, he's not just talking about sinful pleasures. Obviously, sinful pleasures will keep you from growing in the faith. Drugs, drunkenness, gambling, sexual immorality, dishonesty, theft, and the like like that. If you participate in immorality of any form, that's going to keep you from growing in the faith. If you don't repent of all your known sins and work hard to become more like Jesus, you're going to stay immature. But there are often also some more innocent pleasures that aren't bad in and of themselves. But when they become the pursuit of our life, it keeps us from growing in the faith. Sports, games, videos, television, travel, concerts, hobbies. They aren't in and of themselves ungodly, and they can be part of a balanced, healthy life. But they have a way of taking over our lives and robbing us of the things and the time that contributes to spiritual maturity. Our constant desire for short-term fun is often the very thing that keeps us from long-term maturity. Because the more time I have, the more I use it on other stuff. And suddenly I find, I didn't have time to read the Bible. I didn't have time to pray. Had to miss church because I was so involved in, in, in some other things this week. And, and those very disciplines that will make me strong suddenly have taken a, a back seat. And by the way, again, this doesn't happen in most poor countries. But it's an affliction of America that our pursuit of happiness has overcome our pursuit of God. And you can see the results in everyday life. So the three responses, and I hope you don't find yourself in this category, but if you do, I want you to move into the fourth one. The response is none, nothing, zero, zilch, temporary. I got all excited about Jesus, but now I'm just kind of whatever. Yeah, he's real. He's there. I know. The immature, I'm still coming to church. But somehow I'm stuck in a rut. I can't grow beyond this phase. Can't move into church leadership because, you know, I'm, I'm not really spiritually mature, even though I've been coming to church for 15, 20 years. And that's one of the sad things I've seen as a pastor, a long-term pastor. You kind of watch people and you see the same people for 20, 25, 30 years still struggling with the same sins, still sitting in the same pew, still wondering when are they going to grow up and move from immature to spiritual maturity. We've got a lot of people stuck in churches in America in that third one. But what Jesus taught and the response that he wants from all of us is that we will become real disciples. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. His desire is that biblical truth what you hear from the preacher, what you study in your classes, what you read in your Bible, what the Spirit reveals to you 
His desire is that biblical truth will change us, make us more like him, and lead us to have lives that count for good and for God. That's what he wants from us. Does that describe you? Now, Jesus gave us a four-part description here, so I will help you along with that. Jesus said that a disciple has a good heart. A noble and good heart, the NIV says. New American Standard Bible and King James Version say an honest and good heart. I like the Living Bible's paraphrase. Disciples are honest, good-hearted people. Real disciples speak truth with a clear conscience and always from good intentions. And so a real disciple of Jesus has a heart that is very much like Jesus. And then he said, a real disciple of Jesus has growing knowledge. They hear the word and they retain it. It's not just that they can quote the Bible, although that's healthy if you can. It's that they know the Bible and it becomes who they are. It's not just a mind thing. I come up with a verse to, to fit any situation. Some very immature people are very good at that. They can quote the Bible. But Jesus said, my disciples, retain it. It becomes who they are. And Jesus said, a disciple has perseverance. A disciple lasts. They are serving in the good times, and they are serving in the tough times. They serve when it's fun, and they serve when it's work. They're not six-month wonders. A disciple is who they are. Ask them who they are. And often they will tell you right up front, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. And too many people, that, that, that's on our list, but it's number 17 or 5. We, we describe where we live and what we do and what our hobbies are and what our job is and, and our family and everything else. And, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Real disciples, that becomes their identity. They persevered in it so long. Now, those of you that have been married for a while know that a marriage goes through stages. There's the honeymoon stage, often followed by the disillusionment stage. You know, first, you're just blind to everything. This is just great. And then the disillusionment. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I didn't know he was going to do that, say that, act that way. You know, I thought that the way she looked when she was all made up was the way she looked like in the morning. And that's not the way that it is. And there's the disillusionment phase. And then it often goes through the, the, the up and down phase. But what you want to get to is that healthy love stage. This is my life's partner, and I am fully and completely satisfied. Listen, Christian maturity is a lot like that. In the honeymoon stage, you bask in the glow of God's grace and forgiveness, and, and everything is great. In the disillusionment stage, you find that discipleship can be tough. 
Loving people can be a challenge. Christian disciplines are hard to keep. Overcoming temptation is a fight. Church life, well, it'd be great except for the people involved. And we haven't really got to the persevering stage until we work through that and get to the healthy discipleship stage. You know, I mentioned that a marriage goes through stages. Don and I celebrated our 44th wedding anniversary this last week. Let me say two things about it. I'm not looking for applause unless you're applauding Don. So let me say two things about it. Number one, after 44 years, I'm pretty sure we're going to make it. And number two, somewhere, someone needs to give Don a medal or an award or some special commendation. Amen. Yeah, okay. Y'all finally woke up. Yeah. For putting up with me for 44 years. But there's this joy that comes when you've made it through the ups and downs of life. And you've had more challenges that you can remember. And you've made it through the tough days. And you're satisfied and content and continue to be excited about it. That's what a real disciple of Jesus is like. You went through the highly emotional, praise God, Jesus saved me. I was such a horrible sinner. And you made it through the tough times. You know, when it seemed like not all your prayers were being answered the way you thought they would be. And you had good days, but you also had some bad days. And you went through the emotional roller coaster for a while, up and down. What Jesus wants is to bring us to that maturing stage where we persevered and we made it. And we know this is who I am. It is not a phase. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And then the fourth thing that Jesus said about disciples is that they bear fruit. Now, the Bible talks about fruit in many different ways. Let me point out two of them because I think Jesus might be referring to both of them here. There is the fruit of the Spirit. When you've walked with Jesus and you become full of the Spirit, then your life becomes a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let me say that again, and I hope I can do it without looking at my notes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're a disciple, and listen to me on this, that describes you. If it doesn't, you still got a ways to go. So don't just relax and say, I'm there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I left out one. But that describes disciples of Jesus. He says, they make fruit. Lemon trees produce lemons. Christians produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And real disciples of Jesus make fruit in another way because they're instrumental in making other disciples of Jesus. They reproduce. They share the faith. They evangelize. They train new believers. And a real disciple is constantly in that process. They take seriously the great commission of Jesus to go into the world and make disciples. And they've come to understand, that's why I'm here. That's who I am as a disciple of Jesus. So those are the four responses that Jesus talked about. He saw them in his day. We see them in ours. There's the nuns, 
Gospel hits, bounces off, and that's the end. There's the temporary. This is great. Hallelujah. And it lasts for six weeks to, to maybe six months. There's the immature. I'm still hanging on. 25 years later, I've never really got there. And, and then there's the real disciples. They're not perfect. But they're making an, Im, making an impact on the world. So which one describes you? Because I want you to think about your response. And so the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to evaluate yourself. Am I a nun? I come to church. The word is taught. The only thing I'm thinking about is when's he going to say amen? Are you a temporary? Man, I used to be so excited about Jesus and now I really don't think much about it. Are you immature? I've been coming to church for 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years. And I'm not producing fruit and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. It doesn't really describe me. I'm immature. Or can you really honestly say that you're a disciple of Jesus? Because that's what Jesus wants from me, from you, from us. So evaluate and then respond. And I'm not putting you down because I think over my life I've, I've been in all of those stages at one time or another. But I'm just telling you to do what I tell you almost every week to do. After you think about it, you tell God what you found. God, I'm kind of in danger of being temporary because I've lost the excitement and enthusiasm. I, I, I'm immature. I've known the gospel for years. But I'm not really growing. There's no real fruit change me. I want you to change me because I can't change myself. So I want you to think about it. Jesus said you're in one of those four categories. Evaluate yourself. Talk to God about it and do everything you can within your power and with the help of God and through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit and by regular participation in the Christian disciplines of worship and serving in the church and praying to God and reading the word and then using your gifts and talents to make others strong and to help them become a real disciple of Jesus because that's what he wants. To his disciples, he looked them in the eye and said, Come follow me. And so not Jack, but Jesus is saying to you, come follow me. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.